going on guys welcome back to gloves off episode number 13 here i'm evil lady from pure evil mma as always and with me is james mcsweeney ufc vet ultimate fighter season 10 kickboxer muay thai and maybe some other things on the way we'll get into that just a little bit later on as the month goes on and this year 2019 has been amazing so i can't wait to see what unravels here in 2019 for both me and james here on gloves off we got a lot to discuss there's been a lot going on but james i think uh you're gonna be an olympic swimmer soon with uh, how much pool time you got in over there at the gym over <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, it's been great because I've been... Um, I used to swim a lot before. I'm, I'm not a good swimmer, believe me, you me. I'm not a fish by no means. But, um, of course, it's very good for your body. It's very good for your lung capacity and when you're training. Um, I used to do a lot of swimming back at Jackson's when I was back in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I used to do a lot in Vegas. And being here in Thailand, there's very few places out here that everyone's got swim pools in their houses, but not the size of Olympic pools, you know what I mean? So um, now I'm working at one of the biggest international schools here, and they have an amazing swimming squad. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to go and use their facilities and even get a couple of sessions with, they've got some former uh, Olympic swimming coaches there. So I've been getting some private training and with some private, uh, of course, uh, sessions with some Olympic swimming coaches. So really helping me with my stride, my breathing applications and, and bits and pieces. So it's been fantastic. So yeah, and you uh, got I've the got new a camp. Gym. You got the new gym yeah, as the well? Gym's yeah, the gym's doing good. Very fortunate now. We've got over close to 50 kids, wow. just over 50 children now. And uh, we're between that and the school, uh, with the school as well, we're, t we're, we're touching a hundred, you know, we're helping over 150 children. So with the school included, the kid has the school has over a thousand kids, and we've pretty much got 10% of them coming through the martial arts system. So you know, just to be able to help those young kids, and I'm doing a special class right now for four to five year olds. With some kids, with some, uh, it's called a balance and application class, but it's some kids with some learning disabilities like ADHD, where they have problems with their balance, their focus, and uh, really concentrating on certain aspects. So I've been working with those children as well. We started off with one kid uh, three weeks ago, and already I'm up to six. Wow. So even though it sounds small, but to help six children that have learning disabilities, you know. Um, Already we're seeing it that's only in three weeks. So we're really making some big leaps forward with that and uh, very satisfying for me. And of course, if I can help young children of four and five years of age get past those difficulties that they're actually unfortunately born with, then um, hopefully progressing on in their later years and their teenage years, they should have beat those physical mental barriers that they're sometimes too scared to approach. So, um, but Listen, I love it. I'm, I'm having a, an absolute ball helping them. It's fantastic. That's really interesting how you bring up the whole, you know, mental walls that people build or, you know, oh, you can't do that, but they have to learn, you know, I can do that. So that's really cool bringing that into the well, martial arts That was world. one of the things... Well, that was one of the things that martial arts taught me and and to be honest over the years like so many naysayers across the world but forget forget social media i'm talking before social media existed before internet existed i remember as a kid putting my hand up in school when they people were putting their hands up what they wanted to be when they were older and some people were saying like i want to be a football player and i want to be a movie star and i want to be a mechanic and i want to be this and a scientist and i want to fly to the moon and i said i want to be a fighter and the teacher looked at me and said, you can't be a fighter. Like, and I got in trouble for saying that. I got wow. sent to the headmaster's office. And because don't forget, back then, this is like in the 90s, 1990-something, you know, 92, 93. I was 12 years old. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a platform to be a professional fighter back then. There wasn't, a, you know, 
an, an avenue where we could go down that road. Do you know what I mean? Where nowadays these kids now can actually be uh, fighters. They can actually be that for a living. They can choose that living at school because they got in America. You've got wrestling. You've got Thai boxing. You've got you know you can actually go to gyms now and learn to be a mixed martial artist. When my day there wasn't. It was just a little bit of karate, a little bit of taekwondo or something or boxing. So um, you know, so, so to be able to teach the kids that you can do anything you want to do, and also you know these these barriers are put there. Like if someone says, oh he has ADHD. Okay, that's a that's a, a hard thing to overcome, but it can be overcome, and it's not an excuse to be you know an arsehole or a dickhead. You know, it's not an excuse because you have ADHD. It's not an excuse where you're not going to concentrate. Yes, it's hard for you to concentrate, but you still can. It still can be achieved and it still can be done. You know, like teenagers, like it's almost these labels are put on them nowadays, and they and they give them all this medication. And of course, listen. I'm not a doctor. I can't say whether some people should be medicated or not. But in my belief system, I would take all the kids away from the medication and have them learn how to tackle those barriers. Just chucking medication at these young kids at you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of age is is unbelievable. We're just liver killers and kidney killers. You know, it's just they have so many liver and kidney disorders when they're older. So for me, I'm trying to work, and I've been build, building a system now for the past 12 months on how I can give them obstacles to challenge themselves and, uh, and, and coordination drills. And whenever they get a little bit too, uh, a bit too rambunctious, like you say, okay. like I stop the whole class and I make them touch their ears, I make them touch their eyes, I make them touch their nose and touch their mouth and touch their toes, then I take a deep, deep, deep breath. And then I've got their focus. And when they're all doing it at the same time, then I know they're all focusing on one thing. Therefore, they're now listening to me. So I work on a lot. James, are you still with me? Oh, lost James here. Really interesting that he brings that oh, wait, up. Though. I lost you for a second. Yeah, James, yeah. really interesting. Yeah, it, it was just a brief second. We caught what you said, and I was about to say, it's really interesting that you also bring that up. Before we jump into episode 13, I just want to highlight the fact that there are fighters out there that have been successful, that have even had autism and stuff like that. Like, I've interviewed uh, John Doomsday Howard, yeah. him being one of them. Look at Nick Newell, how far he's been able to get within his career as well. I mean, the list can go on and on here what Diego Sanchez is doing. Well, I, used to, I, used to, I, I, used, I used to work with Matt Riddle back in Vegas. And Matt Riddle, um, ADD, as a young right? child, was ADD. Yeah. And basically he was given a ton of medication when he was a child, which caused him to have a lot of liver problems. And then as he got older, he found marijuana, mm. right? So um, he, he went down that road. And, and that just helped him, to be honest, um, that actually completely helped him and got him off all the uh, AD, ADD medication. Actually saved his life as, as a teenager. Um, listen, I'm not promoting to get by illegal marijuana or whatever. But if there were, if it was legal back then when he was a kid, he would have been he would have been given it. And then of course his issues was his boundaries of it. So of course everyone knows that he tripped up a few times and got busted with the uh, UFC back How then for, for marijuana that, and so forth. James, how stupid um, is that? I, 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 in my opinion, I think it's te I think it's really stupid, because you, here, here you've got here you've got someone who's medically medically, if he took the other medication that was given by the doctors, 
he would have had liver or kidney failure. And it happened to him numerous times. He had multiple seizures and real problems. Um, and, you know, but by taking the, the marijuana that he needed, it killed the symptoms, actually improved him. Not only did it just keep the symptoms at bay, he actually symptoms went less. So that for him, medical marijuana was a much higher, much better uh, outcome. Of course, it was herbal, it's natural, and also forth and so forth. As everyone knows the benefits, I'm not going to preach to the choir here. And, um, and he would submit his doctor applications and so forth, but yet he was still you know, getting hit with it time and time and time again. And of course, he made some mistakes, and he, you know, him and Dana fell out, and they went the route they went. But oh, we lost James here for another second. Let's see if he comes back in. Comes back through. Should come on any second here. It's like what? What? What do you mean you're going to fight next week? Yeah, no, I just took a fight. Someone just pulled out. I'm going to step in, and he did it monthly. Yeah, like he was doing, and then going there and winning. And you know, he he was he was a good guy for the UFC and a super super talented fighter. I know he's gone on to do his wrestling stuff now and all the rest of it. And I'm not I'm not in touch with wrestling and stuff like that. It's not really my bad. But um, in my opinion, I, I was I was devastated that you know him and the UFC passed ways because he's one of the most talented fighters I've ever come across yeah and I also spoke with Elias Theodoro they have no problem issuing these fighters after a fight you know pain medication but yet they can't even smoke weed and it's something that we're learning more and more about people with disabilities I like that you're doing that it's really interesting and it'll only help pave the path towards you know finding answers in the professional scene as well as we, you know, move on the next yeah, couple of years. I think, uh, I think if, if you can, if you can help the kids from a young age, then it just comes a part of their program. And listen, the worst case, we're all uh, at the very worst, worst level. You're just going to teach these children that hurdles can be jumped. Hurdles doesn't mean you have to stop. You're going to hit a hurdle and fall over. No, you have to work out how we're going to jump it and how we're going to get around it. And that's what I'm trying to do with these young kids. They're like four and five years of age. I'm working with on a Monday and, um, we just teach them how to how to get around it. So, James, let's jump into episode number 13. There's so much that has happened since me, me and you last spoke. Uh, I believe you trained with this fighter. If not, uh, we at least know that he's really close with Rashad. We've been following his career for the past couple of years with the Ultimate Fighter and his journey through you know the ranks inside that welterweight division. Usman defeats Tyrone Woodley. I wanted to discuss this with you about a, a championship fight. Oh, we lost James again. James, are you with me? That's uh, right. I'm back on now. Just, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'll just turn the Wi-Fi off. I think it's better tonight ever on right now. I don't know why my Wi-Fi keeps playing up, so I'm just no. using my normal network. It's back now. You're all good. I want to discuss something with you, man. We got a new champion. Uh, Kamar Usman is now the new welterweight champion, beating Tyrone Woodley. Now, I got to ask, did you watch any of the highlights of that? What do you think was going on with Tyrone Woodley? And what goes into a championship fight? Like, what can change mentally? Because we did also see that with uh, Anthony Smith, and I spoke with Houston Alexander about it. He was like, that's not Anthony Smith. Something happened there. So I got to ask you, you know, in a championship fight, what are the mental battles that you're going through there? And can it have an effect like we saw in the last few weeks? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, any mental battle is going to be is a very tough one to come over. And that's why, I mean, it's not taking nothing away from him whatsoever. Because Usman, 
was, I think he put a performance out of a lifetime. I think that was a fantastic performance. He stepped up. He showed true class. They showed both respect. Unfortunately for Woodley, I just think he, I don't know what he had going on mentally or whatever, but I honestly feel that he hadn't evolved in his last three fights. If you watch his last three fights, not much change in, in his performance or what he was good at. Everyone kind of knew the blueprint of what Tyrone's got to bring to the table. And I think Usman had that figured out. He had it worked out. And I think he played the game plan perfect and he, and he applied his pressure. He showed that he was not fearful of Woodley's wrestling or Woodley's strength. I think he showed that he, he could outstrike him. And he showed real confidence. And I, and I think for Tyrone... He's a, an amazing athlete. And I don't think it's the last we've seen of Tyrone, that's for sure. Mm. I think he's going to go back. He comes from an amazing GM with good coaches. Um, he's working with Duke Rufus, right? Yeah, he's training with Duke and all of them down there. I mean, you've you got Duke Rufus down there in Cali. and he, he, Duke is one of the one of the highest level MMA coaches in the world, in my opinion. And one of the best, not just striking coaches, but he understands the full game. He's got an amazing team down there. Um, the who's who, in my opinion, is down there. Um so, in my opinion, they'll go back to the drawing board. They'll work it out. They'll come back and take a fight. I believe Tyrone will probably win. And then he'll go back out there and perform again. What he had going on mentally or what, what was going on, that can definitely play a huge role. But, I mean, you can't, we can't give these kind of excuses out there. Do you know what I mean? You can't, we can't say, well, because he has something going on in his mind. Well, then Usman has something going on in his mind as well. Usman could have had a lot of pressure. His lifelong dream, everyone watching him going out to perform. So everyone has a lot. But yes, you're right. To win or to lose, mental pressure can be very, very tough. I mean, could you imagine you have an amazing training camp for eight weeks. On the way to the arena, you get a phone call that someone in your family's passed away or, you know, or someone's really sick or you have a crash. Something could happen on the way that could throw off the whole strategic game of what's going on. The hardest thing as a champion or anyone who wants to go out and win a fight is to try and keep all the pieces of the puzzle together no matter what happens. Now, and also, that's very tough to do. Like, if, if you look at it, me and you were talking the last couple of weeks, what it takes to be a champion, the stress, the aggravation, the, the media, and what, what comes with it. We've seen uh, you know a lot in the past you know 25 years, really, of the UFC. Did you kind of feel that? wearing down on Woodley uh people are, are are saying and this is really only Woodley something that Woodley can answer you know doing the rap doing uh movies and stuff like that or is that a healthy outlet where it's like you know you got to level things out you can't overtrain yourself so where does that fall on you well, when you see it I, I would imagine if he was listening to Duke he wouldn't have been overtraining because Duke's like I said an amazing coach I just feel probably the schedule people don't understand the schedule that you're on as a champion for the UFC is unbelievable. They have signings. They have Reebok deals they got to go and do. they got other sponsors they got to go and do signings for, appearances. If he was doing movies, if he was doing commercials, it, whatever, talk show hosts, on radios, podcasts. Nowadays, just think, like, if you was a UFC champion 15 years ago, internet was minimal, right? Yeah, very minimal. UFC fighters weren't really in movies back then. If they was, it was small parts. They weren't getting sponsorship deals with people like Reebok or or, or Exiance or, or anything of a big nature like Gatorade or anyone Monster, like that. Yeah. So 
Do you know what I mean? They weren't getting those kind of they weren't no, getting no those king. kind of sponsors. <laughs> so it was a lot less pressure of, on a fighter 15 years ago to be a UFC champion than it is today. Now with the internet, now with social media, there's so much pressure. There's so much being put on them. It's relentless. And of course, they've got to feel all those obligations. And if they don't, they're not going to get paid. They're going to get a hard time. They're going to break negotiation deals. I mean, and you don't forget, you've got to try and run a household as well. Mm. And you've got to find time to train. It's very tough. I mean, look, look, we talked about it before, but look when um, Anderson Silva lost. It, it almost looked like a sigh of relief on his face at the end. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure he was devastated that he lost. But I'm sure he did feel like the pressure come off of his shoulders. Because he was a, not just a champion, but he was a pound-for-pound, long, long, long-time champion. And, you know, Woodley had a taste of that. Woodley's a great guy, an amazing athlete, a great fighter. I just feel it doesn't matter what. It, the fact is, it doesn't matter what happened. He, he didn't perform his utmost for his best. Or if he did, Usman put on a performance that didn't allow him to perform his best. An amazing performance from Usman. It doesn't really matter. The fact is, he lost. He's got a yeah, Usman come back and put on a, a performance of a lifetime. And there's no better time to put on that kind of performance than on a on a, on a world title fight, right? So, now, it's, James, it's, listen, I, I, it's, it's just hats off to them both. Hats off to them both. Now, James, this is another very controversial question here. You know, there was a part in the Anthony Smith versus John Jones fight where an illegal knee was landed. Now, do you think that should be on the fighter to make that call, or the ref? Who should that call be on? Because obviously the fighter is going to well, say I, yes because he doesn't first want to look bad. Are you talking about the are you talking about the legal knee when he kneed him in the face when Herb caught it? Three points were down, right? Yes, yes. Three points were down, right? Yeah, he took right. Well, the thing is that that's a new that's a new it's a new rule, right? Mm. Because people were playing that silly game where they were touching their hand down so they couldn't get kneed and coming up. I think in the heat of the battle, it's not the fighter's job to. I mean, listen. I don't think John was trying to knee him in the face when his hand was down to to do an illegal shot, right? Because it would have cost him the belt. It would have cost him the fight. It would have got this, 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 uh, disqualification. So I don't think that was the case. Of course, it's down to the officials and the judges and the referee to call that shot. I mean, it was luckily for Anthony that he didn't get knocked out. He took a cut instead. Um this has always been this has always been an issue with live sports, right? It's not like American football where they can freeze the game, watch the replay, and and make a decision. Well, here, if there was a replay, the issue would be that you can't allow too much time for the fighter to recover, or you know what I mean? Like it throws everything off. This, this, that's why you can't do that. That's why you can't. It doesn't make the fight fair. Second of all, where's the excitement of a fight? The excitement of a fight is that it's an ongoing, fast-paced, relentless fight. You, you. Sometimes, you know what? As the fans, we can't have our cake and eat it. It's like you want everything to be fair. You want everything to be correct. You want everything to be whatever, which is great, but it can't be perfect. It's a fucking fight, guys. It's like doing a podcast. Anything could go wrong. <laughs> Anything. Yeah, you know. But what I'm saying it's it's a fucking fight. Yeah. And you know what? When the people are invested, and you got two high level guys in there trying to do their best to win. And sometimes shit just happens, you know. And, and the fact is, that that's what that's that's the excitement that the fans love. But sometimes I think that not just the fans, but everybody that's involved, 
We want it to be a real as possible, real fight, as high intensity and fast paced as everything. But we want it to be controlled and, and whatever. Yes, we do. But you've got to be realistic. Shit happens. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I felt sorry for Anthony. Do I think it changed the outcome of the fight? No. No, it didn't. Anthony was already not showing what he did before. This is what makes great fighters great. George St. Pierre was one of these people. Anderson Silva was one of these people. John Jones is one of these people. He makes top-level fighters look mediocre. Now, this also happened... And that's, and that's, and that's what John Jones did. He made, he made Anthony look like an everyday normal fighter, when Anthony's not that at all. Yeah, Anthony's been doing it since the Strike Force era. He he's been training with some of the best. I I was speaking with Houston Alexander before and after the fight to go over what happened, man. He was like, you know, this is no, you know, this is nothing new for Anthony, and it, only Anthony knows why he was performing that way inside the octagon. Now, James, I also I, 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 I also got to ask uh, another thing that you know happened where we can discuss on the same subject is Robbie Lawler versus Ben Askren. What went down in that fight with Herb Dean? calling it off see there, there you go you've got like the flip of of what just happened you've got you've got a referee that didn't see the knee or didn't see the illegal knee and then you've got herb dean who's an amazing referee super experienced mm. made a call now was it the fact if you watch it from herb's aspect i mean to be honest seeing a small thumbs up i didn't see the thumbs up until they showed the replay but it did look like when he did grab his arm, his arm did fall. What does that show you? you know, Just for it, listeners, what did that show you when you, you saw that? Well, when someone picks up your arm and drops it and it falls limp, is what the referee is testing for is to see if you're still awake because the referee doesn't know. He doesn't know whether you're still conscious. If you're unconscious and a choke is still being applied, there's some serious, serious problems could occur you're shutting off the the arteries and the blood vessels to the brain and the oxygen levels which is what's causing you to pass out in the first place if that's held on for too long past that there's brain damage there's death there's a ton of different things that can happen so it's very dangerous herb dean lifted the arm and dropped it and it did fall but then he did put the thumbs up but Herb Dean made a call, and I think Robbie Lawler took it very well. He was a bit pissed off because he was in the second, and then he just turned around and said, listen, don't worry, it happens. You're an amazing referee. Well, I mean, hats off to Robbie Lawler for that. I mean, geez, I mean, he got his composure within 10 seconds, went back and told Herb, listen, you're a great ref. Don't worry, it's not your fault. It just happens. And and that 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 in itself is exactly what we're trying to say. What I was just trying to say to you a moment ago, uh, Robbie Lorna knows it's a fight. Shit happens. I was just talking about that five minutes ago. Even Robbie knows that. And do you know why Robbie knows that? Because he's a fighter. But the fans and everyone wants it all to be absolutely perfect. And unfortunately, in this, nothing is perfect. Everyone, everyone's running the game that are humans. Humans make mistakes. So and we all do it. To be it full just happens. Circle. Do you believe there should be something implemented like uh, a replay with 20 seconds when the stakes are higher, like the TJ Dillashaw versus Cejudo fight, when you know the, uh, there's a championship title on on the line? Nope. Let's see if we can connect with James again. Let's see, James. Let's see if we can get him back in here. Oh. 
Come on, Skype, reconnect. Reconnect, Skype. Hey, mud on me. This always happens. But it's like the thing, like, you know, when, when the stakes are high, there's a championship fight, there's a lot on the line. So uh, let's see what, let's, let's try to give James a call back here. Let me switch back to the intro. All right, let's give James a call back. We're in episode 13. We still got a lot to run down here. Oh, here's James right now. James, can you hear me? All right. Yeah, I could hear you the whole time, but you couldn't hear me. Uh, so so I, w I was saying, you know, when the stakes are high, say for instance, a, a title fight, should there at least be, you know, a 20-second replay for the ref to, you know, just go over what he saw? Or do, do, do you still believe that things are, you know, you, you got to take it for what it is. The professional made a call. Yeah, no, I don't think there should be a 20-second replay or, or looking at it or whatever. Yeah, I don't agree with that at all. I think, to be honest... Um, it takes away the the heat of the fight. It takes away the passion. It takes away the intensity. It takes away the the reactions of the fight. No fighter wants that. Everyone wants the impact and to be as real as possible and to be in the game. Listen, if the fighters can understand that mistakes can happen, uh, who who is everyone else to make a decision? Hundred percent. You know, this is a fighter's choice. This is a comp company's choice. If the company is chooses the right. By, by them and their fighters, and the fighters are okay with this, no one else should be making a comment about it. It's not down to the fans. No matter how passionate they are, and I know that they're a huge part of the sport, but to be honest, everyone has a place. The fighter has a place, the president has a place, the show has a place, and the fan has a place. And they should all stick to their lanes. The fighter wants to be in the moment and enjoy the fight and be about the passion of the fight. The, the, the promotion wants to put on the best intense action-packed fights they can, and the fans should just enjoy the roller coaster of the fight. Stopping it and all the rest of it, and stopping to watch a, sh a little camera and all the rest. No, it can't happen. It can't happen, and it won't happen. So, you know, everyone should just stick to their lane and just enjoy the show. If the fighters understand and the refs understand, it's no one else's business. On a good note, James, what did you think of Ben Askren's performance, though? What a welcome into the UFC up against Robbie Lawler. That was that was entertaining, huh? Yeah, it was. I mean, I've known Ben Askren since the One FC days. Um, uh, I fought on the same show as him on One FC before, and um, listen, Ben Askren is good at what he does. He knows how to promote a fight. He knows what to do. If he didn't pull off that choke. I don't think it would have gone that way, and I think he knows that as well. Um, it's great for him to walk in there and beat Robbie Lawler on paper. Robbie Lawler wasn't asleep. We all know that. You've seen the, you've seen the video. We've just been talking about it. Robbie Lawler was beating the piss out of him right before that. So let's be real about it. Yes, he did a good performance, and he got the victory. That's fantastic. But he did not. If that fight happened 10 times... I think what happened happens once, right? So what did that show you, though? Robbie Lawler wasn't out, right? He wasn't out. He reacted immediately. Robbie Lawler was definitely not out. No, he was not out at all. And I think that shows that. So that was just a mistake. Let them fight again. Give a rematch. So moving forward, the reason why I brought up Ben Askren here is because he does such an amazing job hyping up fights. Colby Covington does the same thing. Conor McGregor. But sometimes there's crossing the line. What to you is crossing the line? Like, if somebody's trying to promote a fight with you, 
What would be taking it too far? And are we experiencing that now in mixed martial arts? And, and, and do you enjoy seeing that? Or, you know, how does it make you feel? When it comes down to the purity um, of the sport, I mean, to be honest, to be honest, there, there's one thing about promoting a fight, and I think both fighters know how to promote fights. Um, there is definitely times that people have crossed the line. I don't think people should talk about families. People should be bringing up wives or kids or anything that gets too personal. Um, joking, whatever, let it be. But the most important thing is be yourself out there. If you're if you're that way, then be that way. That's fine. But it just seems to be all of a sudden that. Prior to Conor McGregor, there was um, oh damn uh, the wrestler. What's his name? Sorry, Chael Sonnen. Chael Sonnen. He was he was the one before that. How many years between Chael Sonnen and Conor McGregor come along? Uh, probably like know, seven. Six, yeah, six, seven. Seven years. Since Conor McGregor, there's been every three, four months another person doing it. <laughs> So it's like if it was a natural absurdity, that's how you want to be, and that's just your personality. Like, you know, Son and Chael has always been that way, and still is to this day, a very opinionated, smart, intelligent, witty guy, and he knew how to sell fights. Prior to Chael, who was there? I don't know. You have to probably go back, like maybe even like Phil Baroni or someone like that. I mean, Phil was always talking a lot of hype about people and, and, and throwing his weight around, and, you know, he had a good smack talk on him. But there wasn't that many. Now Connors came through. Everyone just thinks they're forgetting that Connor is a superstar when it comes to personality, but also a very gifted martial artist. He came through at the perfect time. He brought a country to the sport. And then he made people that weren't even fans of the sport, fans of the sport. True. He brought a lot of things too. I'm sorry, COVID, uh, Connington and all these other people that are coming through. Uh, I'm just not buying what you're selling. It just doesn't – it's not done the same way. It's not authentic, and you can see it. It's like a carbon-cheap copy. It's just not done the right way. And I can take flack for it. People can get mad at me or whatever. They're his fan or whatever. I don't really give a monkeys. It doesn't pay my bills. Mm. But the fact is, uh, yeah, you're a good fighter. Then just, you know, if you want to be a bit of a sell seller and you want to talk loud about an opponent, but just doing it over everybody and just going out there and trying to pick fights. I lost um, – I lost – all faith in him and respect for him when he talked so badly about the Brazilians, then he got a smack in the mouth from one and went to the police. <laughs> now, James, I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, when, when you're hyping a fight, it should not leave the cage, the arena, the interview. Now, when you have somebody out in public... Yeah, or, but the thing yeah. is, yeah, but the thing is, if you've got someone like him that's making it personal and making it about your country, your family, and everyone that comes from the place... Then eventually, you know what? Like he, like what happened when he bumped into another Brazilian that bumped into him. Verdum, yeah. He got a smack in the mouth the for it. Verdum wasn't you know? happy. He threw a boomerang at him, right? <laughs> but whatever he could get his hands on, he threw it. He was lucky for his for his sake. It was a boomerang. It wasn't a kick from uh, you know for, for, from him. So he's very fortunate. But that's what I'm saying. If you make it personal, you're creating enemies because you're not talking just about the fight now. You're just smack talking about countries. You're smack talking about religions what's next you're going to start getting unstuck and that's why it is going to get brought out of the cage that's why there are these incidents taking place backstages and in airports and on buses and all this stuff these incidents are taking place because people are doing it unauthentically they're just verbally attacking people for no reason people are getting a false sense and there's going to be a backlash right 
yeah, people are getting the false sense of, you know, how to promote themselves, uh, you know, a fighter, what's taking it too far. And we're seeing a lot, you know, backstage yeah, but even you, recently. Let's, 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 let's just be honest, though. What's really selling fights? The story. Good performances. The, the, yeah, oh, the, it always the has. Now, a good, a good fight has always been done. You go back in history over the UFC or any fight in boxing or any other, the best fight, uh, go back to boxing, Hagler versus Hearns. They had a true hatred for each other, but they brought the best out in each other in the ring. They had some of the best fights in the world. You look at Pacquiao and, and uh, Margarita. You look at, you know, even this, the, the list of fights that can go on, where there was tr- even Richard and Rampage. They had a true hatred for each other, and they on an amazing fight. True fights is what sell fights. Even if Connor... Talking smack here and there, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, but even Connor, now look at Connor. As soon as he lost... Everyone's exactly. jumped on him. Yeah. Someone's gone. Now he's now he's fallen, right? Even and if Connor was gone straight over to, uh, to 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 the champion now. So you know, so is it is it, is it smack talking that made him all that money? No, he put on great fights. He Backing knocked out up. amazing yeah. fighters. Yeah, he mocked him. So these other guys are not doing that. They're losing. They're losing track. They're taking it down the wrong path, in my opinion. Martial arts has never been about that. Martial arts has been about respect, honesty. And, and also showing integrity in the ring, in the cage, win, lose, or draw, and it's lost its it's lost its way for that. And a perfect transition into the next celebration topic that we have right here, JDS man. There were so many people writing him off. Well, the fans, you know, as you would say, have been writing him off. And look at how he's doing today and beating Derek Lewis via TKO. What a what a absolute legend, JDS really is man and he really proved honest, himself I've always, been, I've always been a super fan of jds ever since i saw him fight against kane i've referenced it a few times i was there live when i saw them fight uh, in montreal that went five rounds of the most and unfortunately for jds i think that took a lot out of him they they, they almost took a lot out of each other kane and kane and, and jds and i don't think kane ever recovered fully even though that he won the fight he never fully recovered um uh, then you saw JDS versus Shane Carwin. Shane was a, a very close friend of mine, an amazing, amazing fighter. Knocked out everybody in the first round. Super powerful. JDS gave him a whooping, you know, and his whole face was smashed to pieces. JDS has always been this way, but he took a big hit. He did a good thing. He took a break. He reinvented himself, and he come back, and now look who you've got. You've got a new monster. And um, everyone in the heavyweight division right now should be afraid that JDS is coming. Everybody. Let me ask you. I think, I think him and, and Ninganu will be next. Was it the childbirth that kind of made him refocus? Like having a child, what does that change for a lot of fighters? Because he just had one and he has another one on the way. You, you, you hear a lot of people talk about, oh, when you have a kid, it's very tough. And, you know, fighters always suffer. And that can be a case because it can be very difficult to put your – you know, you just had a newborn child, or, or and you know you've got to be there for the family, and you have to be there for the for the mom, and you have to be there for the baby. Which is, of course, they always come first. That's that's prior. But on the back of that comes huge, huge motivation. Yeah. Now I don't think that's what's created JDS to come back and be just to be who he is, because this is who he was for the last ten years. Um, but I'm sure that has helped now. It has got, made him a bit real that he's providing for a family. What he's doing, this is what he's going to do the rest of his life. What's he going to do? Get a job in the office? Of course he's not. He's too, you know, he's Julio de Santos. He, he, he has to provide for his family this way. And it looks like he's taken that pressure, he's ran with it, and he's used it as motivation. And 
I mean, to, right now he's he's on point. Let's put it that way. I could actually see him being the the champion uh, again uh, within the next year or so if he stays on this track. Man, he's still right up there. He's sure. still very relevant. What's the good thing about him is that he's evolved. He's not just before he was a he was a, a take that he'd stop the takedowns and box your head off. Right. I wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah. Now he's got groundwork. He's kicking. You know, he's got other avenues that he's now been working on and he's showing them when he fights. So he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu under Nagiras. He's an amazing, his wrestling's come on. He's shown that against Kane and numerous other fighters and he showed it the other day. He's not just being a heavy puncher like he used to be. He's a heavy puncher that can take a punch and he's kicking a knee in as well. So now he's up in his game. He's put the full made together and he's evolved. I mean, maybe in the early days... He was younger and he was less experienced, and now he's using his experience wisely. He's putting it together. Uh, I was super, super impressed. He's an animal. And you know what? Also with JDS, you got to remember that he's not that far away from a title shot. If you know, you got Brock, DC, he's, he's, he's one, no, he's one, he's one fight away from a title shot. He's yeah. one fight. I think if he, if they, I think they're going to give him the Garner next, and the winner of that fight will get a title shot for sure. Really quick, since you brought up Ninganu, what did you think about his performance versus Kane? We didn't get to talk about that either. But uh, wait, 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 James, before you, before you say that, uh, going off of what you just said with JDS, he even said it himself, like, for so long, like, what got me to the dance was my striking skills. For a while, it was like I, I was trying to get too involved in my ground game, too involved here. Now I'm well-rounded, so I'm really gr uh, glad that you brought that out because I feel like a lot of guys do get a little lost in that and forget, you know, what their strengths are because they're trying to become more well-rounded and jds finally this, figured this, out this happens this happens to a lot of people when they have success doing one particular thing mm. they want to stick to it because it's too risky to change but by doing that unfortunately over time people work out your blueprint in a sport that's evolving fight by fight you have to continue to evolve if you stay a one-trick pony eventually it's going to happen it happens in Ngannou, right sure. stipe he, he, he raised that now Ninganu's come back, and he showed a different side of his game the other day. Kane would have been Ninganu's worst enemy four fights ago. Now he wasn't one fight ago, was he? I mean, he, it, it probably took what under a minute for him to knock him out. I mean, his power was he stopped the takedown, which is a very hard thing to do against Kane. He couldn't stop it against Stipe, but he stopped it against Kane. Just goes to show that he went back out and he worked on his striking, he worked on his takedown defense, and he's implemented it now. So if he continues to evolve the way he is, the heavyweight division is stacked right now. It's yeah. stacked full of killers. Uh, it's a very hard place to be. I mean, Alistair Overeem is out there still. He's still got a ton of work. I know he's down in Denver, Colorado. He's evolving his game from his jiu-jitsu game to his striking game. He's working with Division One wrestlers down in Denver. Uh, there's a ton of heavyweights right now in the top five to ten in the world that any one of them could step up and take that title. Now, how do you see him doing against Francis Ngannou, JDS Francis, and what did you see in the fight versus Kane? I think JDS, in my opinion, should would if his game plan is right, he boxes with Ngannou for a little bit, leads Ngannou down a false path, takes him down in jiu-jitsu and ground and pounds him. That's what he should do. If he stands there and trades, Ninganu is a bigger, stronger, more powerful puncher than JDS. And I think that he will come unstuck if he stays up and stands with him. 
but he needs to play the game as if he is going to stand and fight with him, as if he is going to box him, he is going to suck him in. And when Ngannou plants his feet, he's got to change his level, take him down, kind of what Stipe was doing, but he needs to shoot more than once. He has to shoot twice against Ngannou. Uh, Nagano's blocking the first takedown, which he did against Kane, but Kane wasn't going for the second shot. He was taking one shot and then he was standing back up, which Nagano was defending. But if Junior De Santos needs to shoot on a single to a double or a double to a single or whatever he's going to do with the takedown and then look to either take his back and take him down and look for the submission, um, that would be my game plan if I was coaching him or if I was suggesting what to do. A lot easier said than done, believe me. <laughs> but that would be the smartest and most influent. You've got Junior De Santos, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu under the, under the Gira brothers. So he's no slouch on the ground. And if he gets on top, we all know how powerful he can punch. So that would be a problem for anybody on the ground. And you've said it before in the, in the past on this podcast that it's not the first time JDS has gone up against a power puncher. Now, what did you see with Kane there? What, what did you see, if, if you could break it down with a fresh take? I saw, unfortunately, I saw Kane desperate for a takedown, which I haven't seen him desperate for before. I saw a little bit of ring rust. I saw not the old Kane. I saw, I think, when you say to someone you've taken two years off and you've still been active, which is great, but you don't get better taking time off. No one gets better by not doing something. And unfortunately, on this occasion, I do think that the sport has almost evolved itself past where Kane is. And it's a terrible thing to say because Kane's such a superstar and so talented. And it doesn't mean it's over. He, could, he can go back to the drawing board and really get hungry and represent himself. And I'm sure of his nature he can and he will. But if he doesn't, I mean, look, he, he can still put his head high, right? I mean, geez, he's been a champion. He's beaten the best of the best. He's done everything he needs to do in the sport. Now it's just down to whatever he wants to do. But yeah, I didn't. I wasn't overly impressed by his performance. It looked like he was desperate for that takedown. And you never saw that with Kane before. He was never desperate to take somebody down. He would punch with anybody, and then you take you down at will when he wanted to. He didn't look like he wanted to punch him in Ghana at all. He rushed that takedown. Ningana was waiting for the takedown and caught him with an uppercut on the way in, and that's what made his legs bow. But, you know, that just just got away from him. I just think it was a risky fight to return uh, after two years to, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of pressure on him there. But, uh, you know, I don't think there's he's a lot done of pressure at all. On both like, of them. There was a lot of pressure on both of them. Yeah. Because Kane, on paper, is the worst nightmare for someone like Ningana. Worst, worst nightmare. And so there's a lot of pressure on both. So, you know, you've got Ninganu's had had a couple of stalemate fights before where he had an exciting run of knocking everybody out. Then he had a little stale fight. Then he came back and he wanted to push again and show. So going for Cain Velasquez was a, a top launch name. And it was a smart move by Ninganu because now, look, he's back in the top contention, right? Yeah, he is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So moving forward here, I think this is going to be one of the most important topics that we discuss, uh, especially from a fighter standpoint. Now you have Conor Gregor. The rumor has been that they're going to be making the fight with Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Recently, Dana White came out on ESPN and he said, well, we're not going to make that official. Conor may be fighting around the summertime, but we are waiting for Dustin and Max to go through a third fight and whoever wins that. Then we'll kind of discuss what Conor's next move is. But the big headline has been 
They didn't offer Connor a main event spot. Now, do you think that's a, a move from the UFC to kind of, you know, make Connor a little bit more humble to kind of get in, in, in a mental state of where he used to be? What do you think the, the, the strategy there was by telling Connor that he would be co-main event? Because I can't think of one fight that would be more, uh, that would sell more pay-per-views, you know? I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. What sells a fight better than controversy before the fight, right? That's true, too. So, so right now, we believe in a headline put out there by the media team. Media teams are there to put out headlines. No one said it's official. No one's ever said that's guaranteed. You haven't heard it from the horse's mouth, and you haven't seen it like on, on, a, on a, a fight lineup. If it happens then it, it probably is a little bit of a UFC message to Connor saying, hey, you're not where you was three years ago before the Mayweather fight, before the, your loss. You know, you're out there, you've got a lot of money up behind you, you're doing very well with yourself, but you are causing problems outside the cage. You're not the clean poster boy you was before which the UFC loved that about. Not clean, but he, he was he was a, a promoter's dream, right? Yeah. He, 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 he talked the game. He was sponsorship ready. He was clean cut, dressed the part, sold himself, and then delivered the final, the final outcome, the knockout or the finish, right? So it's a promoter's dream. Since then, he's been getting now with the proper whiskey. He's been fake drinking on stage. He's been, you know, getting into fights. There was rumors that there was mafia after him in 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 Ireland. Then there's been rumors that he got another girl pregnant, and that was always his story that he's been with the same girl since day one, and he never had a job, and she paid her way, and she looked after him and believed in the dream, and now they're making the millions, and they had the baby. So that was a part of the story of of being a loyal husband and father figure, and now there's a girl that's out there saying. He's the father of my kid. Yeah, my fa- the listeners almost power. lynched me for not reporting on that. I, I, I waited the longest yeah, I but, could. But what I'm saying People is, so now there's there's lots of these now images. Now, of course, look at the time. The most relevant thing about what happened about the other day when he got arrested is that straight away I knew for a minute he took someone's phone and smashed him. When I heard a forced robbery or whatever, I thought he's, he's forced someone to give him their phone. To break it, I knew it for a start because it said 5:30 a.m. in the morning. He's coming from Miami or wherever he was, drunk, maybe doing something he shouldn't be doing, maybe with someone he shouldn't be with. Someone's got him on camera. He took the phone and smashed it. The fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that's done a lot worse. But he's no longer the clean-cut image promoter's dream anymore, is he? He's now got a voice. He's now got power. He's now got dictation about when he fights, who he fights, how he fights, picking who he wants to fight. So no longer has become a promoter's dream. He's become a a promoter's pain in my ass. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. PR, a dream to PR nightmare dealing with this stuff. So what creates a bit more PR and puts a little... Power, power struggle up there is by the UFC saying, hey, 
you've always said you run this, you run the UFC, I am the UFC, and now we're going to tell you you're the co-main event. The fact is, that's just a subliminal message put out to media to cause everyone like us to talk about it. Yeah. It hasn't officially happened. There's no fight even been officially made. you got someone like Cowboy, who I know on a personal level doesn't give a fuck if he fights first or last or in the car park. You know, he, you know, Connor still gets paid exactly the same money on his contract, the same money pay-per-view, whether he's co-main event or main event, it makes no difference. It's just an ego trip to be main event and it's an ego stab in the back to be co-main event so therefore it's just a subliminal message if, if they go through with it which i don't think they will if they go through with it it's just a power struggle the ufc actually putting their foot down and saying we're not tolerating your shit anymore um you, you're not what you used to be and we've had our differences you've caused a lot of problems you've caused us a lot of money and now it's time for you to climb your way back up or we're going to start putting the ladder up without you on it. The fact is, a lot of superstars have come and gone over the years. And there's been a ton of them. And when they was all on top, they all believed they were bigger than the UFC. And from day one, Dana and the Petitas and everyone else that's been involved has always said, no one is irreplaceable. No one is bigger than us. And this is and why it's proved- good that John's back right now. Because, you know, without Connor yeah, for a while. Yeah, but it's for the time. But the timing is perfect. But even yeah. John had to learn that lesson. True. Even huh. John had to learn that lesson. You know, Tito Ortiz had to learn that lesson. There's been a ton of guys that's come through that's had to learn that same vicious lesson. And uh, and it's, it's backfired on all of them. At the end of the day, the company will always win. It's like, don't forget, it's like saying the casino always wins. When the Fatidas owned the UFC... They own the casino too, right? (laughs) (laughs) Their principle is the same because it's run off the same blueprint. We make all the money for all the money that's involved. But don't forget, we're the casino. We're always going to win first. We may let you win a couple of hands. We may let you get a little bit of money, a little bit of success. But by the end of the night, we're the winners. And And that's always been the blueprint of the UFC since day one. And let me just say this, like for me, I know it's it's been a rocky road for for Conor McGregor fans out there, but like you know, he's only on a one fight losing streak inside the octagon. People forget. Yeah, he lost to Mayweather. Yeah, he lost to Habib, but he's only lost one fight. Uh, you know. Listen, this fact the fact is, give you know, it's just like anyway. It's like when Mike Tyson lost. Everyone couldn't wait to jump on and see him lose. Yeah. There's many a million people out there that have been super successful that have turned a little bit arrogant, a little bit more than normal because of success. People watch Mayweather for the last 10 years to see him lose. Yeah, yeah they have. Yeah. So the fact of the matter is, if people want to watch you win or lose, it doesn't matter to the fighter as long as they're buying pay-per-views, as long as you're putting bums on seats. The fans flip-flop on everybody. Nobody liked uh, Khabib before. Oh, he's boring. He's just a wrestler. Then he beat Connor. <laughs> oh, he's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah, Connor you know done it. something bad and dirty on a bus. Oh, Connor's a piece of shit. Khabib did something dirty after the fight. Oh, no, that was because he did. Everyone makes excuses for whoever they want to make excuses for. Fans flip-flop on whoever's winning. Watch watch the NFL or watch football. Watch, watch NBA. If Chicago Bulls are the best NBA team in the world, everyone's a Chicago fan. Then the LA Lakers come up and everyone's an LA Lakers fan. The fans just, not all of them, I can't put everybody in the same boat. It's not true, but 
there's a few diehard fans out there that follow their fighter. But majority will be smooth. Try to get James back in here. I love when James brings up these points, too, because it's so true. James, you there? Yeah. You just cut out the yeah, last I'm second. Yeah, so I lost you for a sec. I love when you bring up those points because no, they're so true. People flip-flop all the time. It's just how it is. Yeah, they do. And, you know, it just goes back and forth and back and forth. But, you know, they don't take it too seriously, guys. Look, this is a fight, right? This is, this is mixed martial arts. It's fantastic. But... You know, listen, no one's curing cancer with this stuff. It's not that serious. Everyone takes it so serious, like it's life-changing that, oh, no, Connor broke someone's phone. Well, do you know what? Who gives a fuck? Apart from the person's phone that got broke and Connor himself, if I, if, if, if my phone just fell off the side of my bed right now and smashed, would it be on the news? No. no one would do it. <laughs> I love the perspectives that you put it in. No one cares. But you've got to put it into perspective, right? There's, <laughs> yeah. there's things out there in the world right now that's absolutely life-changing. Absolutely and, important. And amazing things. Yeah. I, mean, this, I mean, no disrespect. I don't want to go into this into a deep level. But there was just something happened in New Zealand, basically, right? A mass massacre of terrorism has gone on. And many people have died, including women, kids, and men. And we're concerned about fucking Connor breaking a fucking iPhone. So Mate, happy that you said that. People in this country have got, you know, not just the people in the, in the MMA community have got us really get things in perspective here. You know, I'm, I'm sick of hearing it sometimes. It's like, oh no, what's going to happen to Conan? What's going to happen to this guy now? Oh, the, come on, guys, don't take it so serious. It's just a sport. We all love it and we're passionate about it. But come on, it ain't life changing. There's some real life changing things going on right now. Let's not treat them the same, right? Yeah, you know what? A lot of people use it as a distraction from the things that are actually going on as well. And, listen, and that's fantastic. And that's mm. really fantastic. And you know what? All these things are here to entertain us, right? Yeah. We love to watch the fights because we love the fights. We love to, you know, watch people train because we like to watch people train. We love to go to nice restaurants. We love to go and watch movies. We love to do all this stuff. This is all entertainment. But don't. You can't put entertainment as if it's still like like it's life changing, like it's the same as real life changing events. It's not that big a deal. It's crazy he because broke, he broke, listen, he broke someone's phone. Do you know what's going to happen? He's going to pay the guy off. He's going to pay for the phone. The guy's going to sell his story. He's going to earn a ton of money to all the press that's going to ask him what was on the phone. What was on the phone? <laughs> Connor's going to go to court. He's going to pay a fine, and the guy's going to get a, a little bit of money out of it. Connor doesn't give a shit about paying the guy off, and the guy's just happy to get a couple hundred grand for smashing a shitty iPhone. Perfect. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens again. Oh, yeah, so, it's definitely going to happen again. It's definitely happening again. Yeah. Someone and, else is going to see, oh, I could do with a couple hundred grand. Let me see if I can get a picture of him or video of him. And you know what? There, <laughs> there's so many people out there that will be like, you know, they look up to a lot of the fighters, but then there's the side of fans that are like, they like bashing on fighters and making themselves feel like, they're better than them. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's so yeah, listen, crazy. I've, I've never so met, crazy. right? And I've been to expos all over the world. I've met hundreds of thousands of fans, right? Uh, uh, UFC signings, K1 signings, Muay Thai events, uh, so many fight shows. Not one fan's ever come up to me and said, I fucking hate you. I can't stand where <laughs> you fight. 
you make me sick, you're a piece of shit. Never once has that ever happened to my face. Only on Twitter but, and YouTube and I remember, all that. I yeah. actually beating, who did I beat? Oh, damn. I actually, I think it was when one of my fights was aired in America. I beat a, a friend of mine in London. He's a friend of mine. I actually fought him, and we were friends. A Roman Weber. He's a friend of mine. I beat him in about 15 seconds, right? And I, after the fight backstage, I, I was sitting with him while he was getting his stitches. He's my friend, and to this day, we're still friends. When I traveled home, people, actually, a woman actually messaged me and said to, to me that she hoped I, have, I had a car crash on the way home from the arena and dog. <laughs> what? So I'm yeah. not surprised yeah. either, James. I'm not but surprised. Never once has anyone ever come up to my face and said how much I suck and I'm crap and I'm all these things. I'm not saying that everyone does that on social media because I get probably 98.9% of positive stuff on social media. And I'm yeah. very, very grateful. I'm surprised. I'm surprised because I'm quite opinionated at times. But there is a few percent that pop up and say, yeah, they can't stand me. And I, I just laugh. Sometimes I antagonize them a little bit because I get a little bit of fun out of it. And sometimes I just laugh and, and just block them and move on. But it depends what kind of mood I'm in. But never in a million years has any fight I ever had any of these guys go up to them and tell them what, the, what they think. Truly what they think in a negative way. They save it for social media. So it's, you can't take it too serious, right? You can't. It's just not that. It's not that big a deal. It's all secondhand. Uh, it's all secondhand and personal entertainment. At the end of the day, I think you made a, a great point there, which gets me to the last topic before we get into the fan question of the day. Before we end this podcast, and it's a celebration, man. Bisbing, Michael, the Count Bisbing, inducted in the Hall of Fame. Now, James, what would be your number one memory of Michael Bisbing? Why do you think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, especially being from <laughs> overseas over there? To be honest, um, love Bisping or hate him, you've got to respect the guy. I mean, he was one of the first English guys to ever go through and really set the path for the rest of us in the ultimate fighter and everything else. He was super opinionated, but do you know what? He was himself, and I had to respect that. Whether I liked him or I didn't like him from what I saw on TV, his personality, he was always himself from the first day to the last day. But... What, what, I, what I, I respected most about him is that he never he always had a um, a never die attitude. Even if he lost, like when he lost to Dan, um, um, oh jeez, when he got knocked out really bad by UFC one hundred, yeah, yeah, Dan Anderson. I mean, that's a knockout that some people don't come back from. I mean, that's a knockout that you doubt yourself. Yeah. That's a knockout where, where your own family feels the pain. Do you know what I mean? Like, that was severe. Dan Henderson made it his bad, logo. That was Dan bad. Henderson's logo afterwards. And not just was that a bad knockout. It was on every highlight reel across the world to this day. Yet, yeah, he picked himself up. He brushed himself off. Went back to the drawing board and come out and won a fucking UFC title. And did it with class and beat some of the best of the best of the best of the best in his weight division. You know what I mean? And, and consistently pushed through and had war after war after war. So he deserves everything he got. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He he set the path. He built the path. And, you know, like or hate him, his personality, that's up to you. That's everyone's choice. That's not the point. The way he fights is fantastic. He beat a lot of good guys, but he fought everyone in his weight division and won way more than he lost. Let's put it that way. 
And he was entertaining was through it all. Very entertaining guy. Yeah, what was, but, oh. not, yeah, not just that, but then he's gone on to broadcast simultaneously while still fighting for the UFC, doing very well on the broadcasting desk, um, doing uh, doing commentary. He's done a, a ton of stuff for the UFC. He set the poster boy image for many people to follow, you know, and still keeping his family together. And I think he's done an amazing job. and he, he has every right to be in the Hall of Fame, and it's, and it's good that it was recognized. You know, you got to take your hat off to the guy. F- f- fantastic. And I think he's actually number two with, like, most uh, strikes landed inside the UFC as well. And another guy who led the talk for USADA being implemented in the UFC as, you know, clean fighters. And look what happened once never, that happened. Never got any foul uh, play in that respect of drug doping or anything else. Always a natural guy. Always a leader in, in like you said, endorsing the fact of, who was natural and who wasn't, even to the point that he risked and upset fans by talking loud about certain opponents and certain fighters, uh, not mentioning nobody's names. But the fact is that he won a tremendous amount of fights, became champion, he deserved to be champion, and then kept it. I mean, yeah, GSP come out of retirement and took it from him. But you know what? It's GSP. It's not just anybody. And it doesn't take thing- nothing away from him. Decade, his decade of ruling is, is fantastic. You bring up Dan Henderson, he was able to get the rematch and actually get a win there before ending his career. Another after, after, after a horrendous, horrendous bone-crunching knockout that just knocked you to the core, right? When you saw that punch, after he was knocked out and he was on, the, on his back asleep, yeah, Dan Henderson dived on him and he hit him again. I mean, yeah, he gave Dan Henderson a lot of shit in the Armour Fire show, and Dan was mad. But what a knockout. And it was it hit you to the core. To take that and come back and beat the guy, just got to go to show you what mental attribute that he really had and self-belief. And you know what? That, that's a very amazing thing that you could anyone could take from him. And that's what Hall of Famers should be about. They show a level of integrity, a level of heroism, if you like, in their sport, that anyone could follow and, and follow that blueprint. And that's why they should be in the Hall of Fame. And last to note, him and Mayhem Miller were the last two coaches on Spike. I think it was the season after season 10 that you were on. I think it was season yep. 11 that uh, him and Mayhem Miller were, were the coaches on, which was another high-viewed uh, season for the Ultimate Fighter. Not the highest like yours was, but one of the highest. Yeah, I think it was, it's a hard one to beat R1, I think. That was a lot of... <laughs> A lot of personalities on our one, but yet still, um, yeah, an amazing attribute. So hats off to him. Congratulations, James. All right, let's get into the fan questions. This will wrap it up for episode number thirteen. Uh, end of the show fighter question topic for you. Playing it safe and point fighting over being sm- or being smart versus being an exciting fighter taking risks. And I, I think what people mean by that is you look at somebody like Eddie Alvarez who came here from you know Bellator, you know. Uh, the underground king came in. When I when I say play it safe, it's a lot easier to say than done, right? But there's there's a lot of guys that come in. They try to stay exciting, but it's very risky. You look at Usman; he played it very safe in the fight with Woodley. You know, uh, can, can you compare to that? Can you uh, kind of explain to people the the differences there and and the risks of being you know an exciting fighter this day and age? Because if you're not exciting, they're not going to promote you. So it's kind of like well, tug and pull. It's not just that. It's not just that, but being an exciting fighter is, it's not just about being exciting, but it's about getting the finish, right? So 
at the end of the day, when you go out there with that kind of game plan, and I fell trapped to this a couple of times, and now I've just gone back to my old ways of I'm just hunting for a knockout. I'm not trying to play safe. Uh, I've, I've tried to play safe in a couple of fights. Like when I, when I took a short-term retirement from MMA, I was off for almost 18 months. And my first fight back was a world title fight against the former champion of KSW for a company in Sweden. They told us it was a five-round fight. So I was looking to play safe for the first three rounds and feel him out and push the pace in the last two. Unbeknown to me, they changed it to a three-round fight. I didn't know. After the third, I went back out to go for the fourth, and the fight was over. I had played safe and lost on points. So it sucked, really sucked, and it was bad communication. When really I don't fight that way, but for me, because I had been off the, off, off the radar for a couple of years or 18 months, I wanted to get the ring rust off. I wanted to get as much cage time as I could. So when I went back out there, I could my next fight after that, I had been back to where I should have been, you know, and I, I fell, I fell, uh, I fell victim to it. But these other guys that are going out there to be super excited and are taking all these risks, the fact is, if you miss that risk and you get knocked out, especially with companies like the UFC, one or two losses, you lose your career, you've lost your contract. I think that's what so, made Anderson Silva so exciting was he was able to pull that off so many times. The thing was he was so exciting because he was so flamboyant with his striking, but he was he was an assassin with it. So he was his knockouts were always oh, wow they took your breath away. So it was excitement, but he was a controlled excitement. And same as John Jones, he's doing a load of stuff out there that's you know not many people see that much. But even to the point now of John Jones, he in my opinion. He hasn't really changed in the last five years. He's still doing a lot of the same stuff. He's just very good at it. But at some point, if he doesn't up and change what he's doing, he is going to get worked out. And that will happen. You know, for his sake, I hope he changes a little bit up more. But the risk is, if you keep going super flamboyant, if you keep taking these crazy risks the chances are that if you fuck it up, you're going to lose. And in the UFC, if you lose, there's always that opportunity where you're out, right? You cut your contract and you, it's a very hard road to get back, if at all. So these fighters are under a, a ton of pressure that people don't realize. Like if you have one bad day in your office, you don't get fired. You don't lose your contract. You don't, this is how you feed your family. You've had a bad day in the office, right? And even in the office, you get a verbal warning, a written warning, second written warning. Then you get your red letter. And then finally, they let your ass go. You fucked up five times. In the UFC and other multiple sports, that's not always the case. So fires are under a tremendous amount of pressure to perform. But also, they're on a tightrope where they've got to be a little bit safe and a little bit crazy. Really quick. And people don't, people don't understand that pressure. Really quick, just look at Yair Rodriguez. He tried playing it safe in the fight where... Uh, with Korean Zombie, last second, he's like, all right, screw this. I'm going back to my roots. I'm going to make a risk, and he pulls it off. So it's like, it's but a tug and that's, that's the difference. That's what I said about that tightrope. They're playing one into the other. He played safe. He played safe. It's not working. Bang, I'm going to do something a bit flamboyant and see if I can get it. He knocked the Korean Zombie out. Now, the Korean Zombie went from being like up here to now he's a highlight real knockout, and everyone's, where is he at right now? So, you know... There's that there's that cutthroat risk here with the UFC and other promotions, and it's it's a dangerous risk these fighters are on. So I always just 
trying to get my fighters or myself just to be myself. If I feel like taking the risk, I'll take the risk. Like for me, you'll probably see me jumping knees and, and back fists and, and jumping kicks and stuff like this. It's because I'm feeling it. I'm in the fight and I, I know I can do it and I'm not taking, I'm taking a calculated risk. If you're out there taking uncalculated risks, nine times out of 10, it's going to backfire on your ass. And, and we're seeing uh, that the chances with... are, Chances are, you you know, you may never be seen again. We're seeing that now with Jose Aldo, where he was, you know, trying to play it safe. And then he was like, all right, let me go loose. And he gets a TKO finish. People are like, oh, now we got the old Aldo back. So it's a really interesting question. Really interesting. You just got to go out there and be yourself. The fact is, the old Jose Aldo never left. He just fought a very high-level extreme guy that he made a mistake against and got caught. True. That's it. Josie Aldo's never changed. His technical ability before that fight and after that fight in the gym has never changed. It's just what's going on between his ears is the issue sometimes. Whether he was too emotional when he fought Connor because he fell for Connor's stuff. And then after that, everyone was saying how crap he was and his ego took a big den. And, you know, he was on a highlight reel of everybody being knocked out so fast. It's a tough game. Listen, MMA and, and the fight world, it's a lonely, tough, hard game. People forget, to be a fighter in the first place, we're all a little bit fucked up, right? Yeah. That's why we fight. Yeah, you guys are. That's why we fight in the first place. There's always something wrong with us a little bit. <laughs> That's why we fight. There's always a demon you're running from or, or you're trying to maintain or trying to control. That's why we fight. So when things aren't going your way and you're having a bit more of a mental problem and you've got demons, shit, oh, shit can happen. So, you know, it's a very tough sport. It's a lonely sport. Uh, at the end of the day, I've always gave credit to anyone who's got in there and done their job. I always just try to preach to my fighters and myself, go and be the very, very, very best person they can be in the ring or the cage. And when I fight, I'm going to be the very best version of me, whether that's flamboyant, whether that's playing safe. But when I feel the chance to finish, I'm going to go for it. And I'm really going to pressure, you know, and, and that's the game. There you guys go. Episode number 13 of Gloves Off in the books. Guys, make sure to hit us up on our Facebook page. If you're watching this on Facebook, we'll go to our iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify. The links are all down below. James, what do you got going on for these next two weeks before we touch base again? What's in the works with you, man? I've got a ton of stuff going on. I've got fight offers coming out of my ass right now. I've got a lot of people offering me different fights. Um, so I'm in the middle of negotiations. Um, I've got something that I actually want to take um, just for my own reasons, but um, negotiations for that, the communication has been very tough. Um, but yeah, it looks like it's coming to a point of where we're going to get somewhere. If it doesn't, I'll just go down one of my other roads. Um, I've got plenty of fight offers right now. So I'm in the heat of that, training kids, training my fighters, training myself, running my family as normal. But of course, I want to get this 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 um, last bit of negotiations for my fight um, dot you know dot the i's and cross the t's so i'm pretty full with that how about yourself and guys i got a heavy uh couple of weeks here i'm gonna be the best man at my brother's wedding so uh i'm gonna have oh, to nice. take a, a weekend off i think it's the weekend for edson uh barboza versus justin gaethje so i'm gonna have to take that friday and saturday off also i'm gonna be going to teach uh 
some people out in New York, I can't say exactly who, but uh, some big names out in New York this week, uh, how to put a podcast together. So there's a lot of things going on. We got the website up and running, pureevilmma.com, where you can find links for this podcast and everything else, all the latest and greatest news. Last but not least, James, uh, we, we you guys can follow James at MMA on Instagram. Follow Gloves Off on Twitter at Gloves Off Pod. And that does it for us here. I'm Evil Eddie from Pure Evil MMA. That's James McSweeney. We're out of here. Take care, guys. Thank you.